Hey, welcome to Tuesday Take, where we sit down with Pastor James and ask a few questions and hear some additional thoughts from this week's sermon. Hey, thank you again for joining us for another episode of First Monroe's Tuesday Take, this time in front of a live studio audience. We have Shane sitting at the table with us, but he is not behind the mic today. This is your boy, Alan Goodwin, student pastor here at First Monroe, blessed to sit down with my pastor, James Doty. James, how you doing? Hey, Alan. No, but how are you doing? Though? Oh, I'm doing great. Good. Awesome. <laughs> hey, we've been spending uh, some time, a good bit of time, actually, in the book of Matthew as we've been working through on Sunday mornings, and the last two weeks, we... Uh, chose to do a part one and two of something, and we were in the in the Beatitudes. So we're just kind of jumping into it. It's been a little bit like drinking from a fire hydrant, hasn't it? Yes, it has. It's been a lot of information um, coming at us all at once and can kind of hit kind of hard. Um, so what's the main takeaway for us, for our people, from this passage in Matthew? It has, I think it has been like a fire hydrant because it's, it's just been so much uh, to look at. But if I could sum it up, probably, of the the main idea, the main takeaway from the Beatitudes is that you know, kingdom people should, the way that they live, their attitudes and characteristics should reflect the kingdom they're a part of. And so I think that's been the main thing that, that I've seen this. I think this so convicting for us is the question we've had to ask each week is like, hey, is this us? Because right. in these things, he's not saying like, hey, do these things and try really hard and then you get to be a part of the kingdom. But rather, since you've experienced his grace, since you are a part of the kingdom of God, since he has saved you, now these things should be evident, not your perfect at them, but you should see these things within your life. And so, like, our, our life, our attitude, our characteristics should reflect the kingdom of God, you know, these characteristics that he, these eight different ones that he lists. And so I think that's what's, well, I mean, I guess I can just speak for myself, but I think that's what's been so convicting uh, these past two weeks is just really, I think it's been a lot of introspection probably. I, right. I, I mean, I know there's people that have responded, you know, gone to the front or, or wanted to pray, but just the sense that I've gotten is that it's been a lot of introspection of like just even just looking out like in preaching I think I've just seen a lot of people like it looks like they're really like is you know trying to really look within like is this me or are these because there's a why correct like there's if if these things are not um evident in my life as someone claiming to be a believer then then there is a why for that and there is a place in every one of those where my focus is either not on Christ where my focus and as you're saying with introspection, it's probably largely on myself and my own wants and, and, and truthfully trying to trying to build my own kingdom here instead of actually being a part of the kingdom to which I've been called to. Yeah, and I think and I think the thing that, and we'll get into it probably later, but I think the thing is that the problem has been, and not, not with America, but I think you can live here and kind of blend in somewhat, especially in the South, with this idea of like Christianity. And so I think it, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is really being convicting because you're like, hey, the kingdom of God's very different than the kingdom of the world, or if I could say it this way, like the kingdom of God's very different than the kingdom of America. And so um, our culture, our like, and so I think that's what's hard is that sometimes maybe people are like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of look like everybody else. And it's like, well, is should should that be? Should we look like everybody else? Because, you know, if we're the kingdom of God, we our lives should look different, you know? Right. And so and hopefully we've tried to do that on each one of them, trying to pull out like, hey, like, this is very contrary to the to the world we live in, you know, and not just like the world and like our culture, you know, here, you know, in America. So, so beyond just, I'm sure just the same as all of us have, have been doing, you know, you don't just, um, get up there and blindly teach. I know this can be really difficult for you even, even as you prepare, but beyond just kind of, I guess, normal reflection, 
um, or introspection, what might have been the most difficult thing for you to deal with or going through this or what might have hit you the hardest personally? So there's uh, probably three of them that, that hit me the hardest. Um, I mean, not, not like I'm like the best at the other ones, but one was the poor in spirit of the idea of like you're a spiritual beggar and like seeing myself in that light to be like, I literally am nothing without Jesus. And do I see myself that way? You know, like, right. or, because I think sometimes we're like, we may just say that, but do we really like live that way? Is like in my prayer, does my prayer life reflect that, that I'm, you know, that I, I have to have Jesus. That one, the one, the hunger and thirst after righteousness or blessed are those who desire Christ above everything else. I think that's, for me, has been really hard just to think about it in my own life. And I think for all of us of like, this is one of the, the key markers of I, someone who loves Jesus is someone who desires him above everything else, you know. Um, and then the one for uh, the persecuted, blessed are the persecuted, because I think, and even as we talked about Sunday, is it seems so foreign from our life, from our world, right. that that uh, that really affected me. And it probably maybe showed a little bit on Sunday that I, I feel like I d- dug into that one a little more, probably because it, it did affect me a lot more, because it was just, not the other ones didn't, but that one really, I was like, it, it caused me to stop a lot this week and be like, this should be a characteristic of me. And so mm-hmm. why, why, am I, why, don't, why don't I see it? And why, you know, why is it so different? And, and so it just caused me to do a lot of thinking, you know, praying and thinking in my own life just on that one. So. Because persecution is something pretty foreign to us in the West or here in America that, you know, if we were to look at being persecuted for our faith, we would, many of us would just, our gut reaction would be that that's not a good thing, that that would be something that... Um, I guess more than anything, we should not be rejoicing in, Mm -hmm. right? And we definitely wouldn't look at ourselves as being blessed when we're persecuted. Um, I think there might even be a tendency to think that I must have done something wrong or God must be angry at me if I'm being persecuted for my faith or I'm being, or what I'm going through is unfair or whatever it might be. But it's it's kind of a hard thing to look then at Scripture that tells us that if you're persecuted, you're blessed. Uh, Rejoice and be glad. Right. You know, for that, so. So in that kind of, maybe kind of in the same thread of persecution, um, you talked a little bit about our comfort level here in America and how sometimes we can be people who are so comfortable um, that we're not necessarily living lives that are obedient to God's kingdom, but more so our own. Um, what are some of those comforts that we might be choosing over our faith, and do you think also that it's always intentional for us to do that? I don't think it's uh, – well, sometimes it could be intentional, but I don't know if it's always – like I, th- I think it's just the culture we grew up in. You know, like even we indicated Sunday – Suffering is a very foreign thing to us. Like, we're not drawn to the, and I don't think anybody is, but, you know, it's like that's not something that's normal here, I think, in America. And so I think we're we're typically, I think, just the idea of comfort, of uh, of trying to do whatever we can to make our lives as comfortable as possible. So, right. I mean, you know, why do we have, and not that couches are bad, but, you know, just like even think just practically about our life, like, and, and I'm guilty of it too, it's like, many things I need to do, but like, man, I'd rather just sit on the couch, you know, and watch a Netflix show or whatever. And, and so it's like, we're, we're, I think we're drawn in that way. I think we're drawn to comfort and the idea of like even sharing our faith or speaking up about the Lord of that. We don't like awkwardness. We don't like to put people in a weird situation, you know, and, and we don't want to be also just to say that, like, we don't want to be like these belligerent people and that, Right, people re- like we want them to reject the gospel, not that we're jerks or abrasive to people, you know that kind of thing. But, but I think even that, like I think it's just like our default is just 
what what is the most comfortable. I think, all, and I think this is. I mean, whether it's eating, exercise, whether it's studying, whether I mean, I think we're just in every area of our life, especially here in America. I think we're drawn to like what is the most comfortable thing, and then let's just kind of settle in that in that vein. You know? Well, and a lot of us, truthfully, might also look at at seeking comfort is is almost maybe a more humble you know option than other people will look to because i think a lot of us wouldn't say you know i want to be rich or famous or i want tons of ex- of excess or or anything like that but we would look and many of us would agree that a comfortable life it's like oh well that's good enough you know i don't have to be rich i don't have to be famous but i really want to be comfortable i remember a lot of people talking that way when i was in college but this idea of chasing any sort of comfort that the world has to offer that's that's a clear decision away from what God might have for us towards what we would want for ourselves, correct? Yeah, cuz I think that's and what's what I think what's hard for us is like following Jesus doesn't mean a comfortable life. It doesn't mean you can't watch on your like sit on your couch watch a movie or something. You know, cuz I think sometimes we're like, well, can I not enjoy like anything I'm like, well, I mean, right. we want to take the whole scripture in balance and understand like there there's time and season for everything and so but I, I think it's understanding of like but what it seems pretty clearly in the gospels even as we'll walk through of like following Jesus and yet desiring comfort seem to be opposites, you know, and so if I really want to follow Jesus it doesn't mean my life will always be comfortable. You know, and even let's be honest, even comfortable. Sometimes we just don't feel like maybe praying or reading scripture. And so what's the most comfortable thing just to not do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, even in that, even in that aspect, even I see in my life of like the idea of comfort, I think sometimes the idea of comfort is like not doing anything, you know, of like, just like not. And even, you know, when because even sometimes I think we get in a, w- a little weird about, like, the discipline of, like, prayer or reading Scripture. Like, oh, yeah, it sounds kind of bad, you know, discipline, you know, because it's like, well, because it's not comfortable, you know. And so I think that's just that whole idea of, of comfort is is the danger of comfort is that we have, or we have to be aware of in comfort. Not that comfort's always bad, but to be, you know, that very few, I heard somebody say this, this is a guy named Bill Courtney. He said, I've never done anything profound sitting in my lazy boy. Right, and he was like, "When I is it is my lazy boy good? Yeah, I mean there are times I need to take a break, but he was like, I've never done anything profound or meaningful or impactful sitting in my lazy boy." Hmm. And he said, "That's the same thing with our life. Like if we really want to live, and we'll look at this week, living a life of influence and impact, it it's not going to happen by us staying comfortable." Correct. You know, so piggybacking off of that, you shared a very interesting statistic. Um, at least it was interesting to me on Sunday. Do you remember what that was? Yeah. So it was a stat out of uh, Nick, Nick Ripkin's uh, book. It's entitled The Insanity of God. And in, in that book, he says this, that 70% of Christians around the world practice their faith in context of persecution. And he says this, at the same time, 90% of Christians in the West or over here in America will never share the gospel with another person. Wow. So they'll never share at all. At all. Wow. And that's... That's a hard thing, and I'm sure many people would sit, and you might hear that, and you might gasp. But I'm sure now that I think about it, on Sunday I even heard that, and I even heard some gasps around me, or I heard some people in other pews, maybe you know, oh goodness, do you think that's true? But then even in my own life, when I sit and think, if I really start peeling back and say, well, when's the last time that I did share the gospel, right? And that's me as you know, a minister at our church. Um, who talks about the gospel often, teaches about the gospel often, but when's the last time that, you know, not in a work, you know, mm-hmm. function, 
but I went out on my own um, just just to just because God's called me to do so, and I've shared my faith. Um, wow. He also mentioned our religious liberties a little bit. He talked about our religious liberties um, here in America, um, and so we, we want to be clear that in some in many ways we're blessed to have religious liberties, and we are um, blessed to be able to freely gather together and worship, and and all those things. Yet still, 90% of our Western Christians are not evangelistic or obedient in the other ways that Christ has called us to live, despite all these religious liberties. Why do you think that is? Well, I want to clear the air, too, a little bit, because I did make a crazy statement Sunday that I told everybody would sound crazy that I think would may benefit the American church is for us to lose some of our religious liberties. When I said that, I don't say I'd we want to take for granted our religious liberties. It is a blessing. Right. You You don't have a list of them that you say, hey, take these away. (laughs) Right, right. But the thing that I couldn't help is the more I kept looking at even just the the church in the world to see all the things that God is doing around the world in, as the statistic says, majority of Christians that are Christians right now in the world live in places of persecution and the church is exploding. Like, God is doing so, and not that God's not doing things here. Uh, he is, and He is at work here. But, I mean, there's so, like, just take China, for instance, like the book I was reading, The Heavenly Man, like, just to see how the gospel exploded. And it comes in contexts where there's resistance to their faith. And we live in a place where there is no resistance, really, to our faith. Now, are there people that want to destroy our faith? Yes. So, even now, you can see that people are trying to tighten the thing more, you know, trying to get right. rid of So I'm not saying there's not resistance here, but, I mean, we are free to literally probably do whatever we want in, in regard right. to our faith. And so I, I, it almost seems like this correlation to because of our religious leaders has placed us in a place of so much comfort that now, and actually the brother young guy in the Bible basically was like, Hey, if we would have been really comfortable in this, we probably wouldn't have gone to other villages. Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't have scattered. We wouldn't have felt this this need to you know do that. And so, um, I think there's kind of this correlation between our comfort, our um, the religious livers we have, and why we see that majority of Christians in this context will never share the gospel with another person. And I mean, I think it's because we're comfortable. Right, you know, mm-hmm. like I think I mentioned this Sunday briefly, but I mean, can you imagine if, like, this Sunday? What if, like, this Sunday there was like this decree that went out, like, however through the White House or whatever, to like everybody, and was like, hey, if anyone shows up to a place of worship for the sake of Jesus, not just you know, for Jesus, you will be arrested. Would you go? Right, you know, like, like if you knew that going going to First Monroe this Sunday would mean that you would be locked in jail and not know how long would you show up to worship, you know? And I think most people would be like, well, I can worship from my house, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, and so, but to think like, but this is how a majority of people in the world are living, you know, mm-hmm. where it it is illegal, you know? Right. But yet the church is growing and thriving and people are hearing the gospel. And, and I think me and you just said this briefly on Sunday, like during, uh, like right after the invitation we were talking, but like, it seems it doesn't make sense because you would seem like it would be places of comfort where religious liberties are like you have every freedom. You seem like that should be the place where things thrive and things right. grow, 
not the places where it's illegal to do these things, but yet you see the, and that's really the kingdom of God, you see the exact opposite, that these places where it is illegal to talk about Jesus, people talk about Jesus more, more people are hearing the gospel, more people are experiencing the kingdom of God, but yet you have here where it's completely free, and yet most people are comfortable because all statistics seem to be that people aren't sharing their faith, us included, and what seems to be all statistics, like I just got this statistic from the Southern Baptist Convention um, that, uh, like, Louisiana baptisms were down another year in a row, you know, compared to 2009, like, we're way down, you know. And so it's like everything in, like, is indicating the church's own decline, you know. Attendance is down, baptisms are down. All these things are just declining. You know, there are pockets of growth, and so that's why I'm not saying that Jesus in moving and working, He is. But I don't know. It's just it's interesting to look at and think about, and just I don't. That's what I'm saying. I I'm not saying we like need to be stripped of everything, but I, I don't think it would hurt. Hmm. It would hurt. Like, like we right. would feel it, but I don't think we it would hurt the church. You know, actually, I think it would make well, it would reveal the true church, and then it would right. also. I think you would see this just fire ignite, you know. Hmm. For sure. Lastly, um, one of the things we talked about over the last two weeks um, is this idea of the good life um, and the good life that, um, you know, when you hear that, you might, if you're a young guy like me, you might automatically think of, you know, maybe Kanye West or you might in other places just kind of think of whatever your idea of the, yeah. of the good life is. But there's a very clear picture of what the good life is is for believers. What is that? It is the good life. I think as we said, it is uh, those who know Jesus. And so uh, going through all the Beatitudes, it's revealed like the only way these things are evident is if you know Jesus and if you've experienced encountered Jesus. And so that is where the good life really is lived, you know. And I think what's hard is that it's invisible in a sense, you know. And so looking around in our culture, we see what we what the culture says is a good life. And so I think that's the struggle and the hard thing is that the good life is only found in Jesus. Joy, I mean, true, ha- like all these things are only found in Jesus. Um, but yet our culture and world pushes so many things of saying like, no, this is the good life. This is what will promise good. This is what will, will make you blessed. This is what will give you comfort and security. And the problem is, is that none of it will. And I think even though sometimes we run back to it, we we all have seen in our life when you try to pursue these things, they don't really give us what they promise, you know. For sure. So, James, thanks again for sitting down for another um, Tuesday take um, for our people um, here at First Monroe. Um, we just got to do something kind of special with James today. We got to take James to an early birthday lunch. He's turning... Um, 31. Man, I'm so excited. I'm trying to think of a good rhyme for that. Super fun 31. That Okay, it doesn't work. Um, James is going to be 31 by the time everyone sees him again on Sunday. Um, today we went to a little establishment called Walk-Ons. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, James, I saw that with your food that you got today, you got the Cajun Diaz or the Cajun Dillas, whichever way you want to say it. Yeah, Cajun um, Dillas. You had a side of some, some waffle fries, didn't you? They were great. So let me ask you something. Walk-ons or Chick-fil-A, who has the better waffle fries? Oh, man. Huh. All right, I'm going to say this, and uh, and I'll explain. It's got to be walk-ons, and here's why. You're mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, I did notice that you left a few walk-on fries on your plate. And here's why, is because you can order cheese fries um, that we got for an appetizer, and those cheese fries are glorious. And you can't get cheese fries at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is good, for sure, and I will love Chick-fil-A to the day I die. But uh, uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, I've never seen you go to walk-ons just to get fries, though. I will say that. So I just, just want to say that. I've never gone to Chick-fil-A to just get fries. <laughs> yeah. I will say, if you go to Chick-fil-A just for fries... That's pretty hard. Um, well, let me. Ask They're you both this. good. Let me ask you this question then, because I, I, I had a feeling you'd say walk-ons, because mainly we've been sitting around and we've been watching a bunch of videos, TikToks as the young ones call it, um, about ways to do different hacks or ways to change your your Chick Fil A order. Um, you know, and maybe some you know some people have been talking. You know, I don't I don't know who they are. I've just been hearing it. Some people have been talking that says James isn't really satisfied with what Chick Fil A has to offer. And he thinks he has to make changes um, in order to make it something more satisfactory. So I have, my last question would be, is it okay for Christians to change their Chick-fil-A order? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Free in Christ. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you again for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Take.